So I want to become a dog trainer. Oh, yeah? But when I look, I just don't know who to join. Yeah. It's a sea of acronyms, and it appears to be unregulated. <laughs> I want to know my money is well spent with me joining a team of dynamic, ethical professionals who have the same goals as me. I also want to be taught using the most up-to-date, science-led data. So where do I go? You heard of Pat? It's a place to go to become the most knowledgeable, skilled, ethical, science-based dog training instructor you can be. It's also one of the few organisations good enough to be a member of the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. The Professional Association of Canine Trainers, PACT for short, is here to help you become the best accredited dog trainer you can be. PACT gonna help you reach your goals. PACT is the place you need to go. Oh, PACT if you love dogs like we do too. PACT we are indeed the place for you. PACT it's time to take that leap of faith. PACT delay no further while you wait. Come find us at packed-dogs.com Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says... I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop till we're gone. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hi, greetings. Hello, everybody. Again, we're back. <laughs> we made it. We did to number two. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought we would. No. <laughs> it's all good. Happy New Year, everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy New Year. Um, I hope you had a good one. Did you yeah. have a good one? 
Yeah, I did. I was with you. Yeah, I was. I was a bit ill. You were a bit ill, yeah, weren't you? Didn't do much partying. But it didn't didn't dampen your spirits. No, though, did it? no. I <laughs> had a little party on night nurse. So. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said about that. Yeah. So, but it's all back to normal now, isn't it? So, got to get on with it. Got to earn some monies. Back with a bang mm. into work, which has been great. Talking about great. Um, Thank you so much for the response we've had for episode Thank one. Thank you very so much, everybody. It's been absolutely lovely. Um, just hearing people, um, what they think, seeing the comments, um, seeing how many people have shared and liked it. Um, it's been great. I know people have actually listened to us. It is good. I mean, isn't it? it's great. <laughs> I think the and fact that they liked was on it, it isn't it? Oh my goodness! Yeah, weren't she amazing? <laughs> she was amazing. I think I've listened to that about ten times. I still can't believe it happened. It is a bucket list moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So we're back then, Nat. Um, my sister behaviourist. I'm going to try and say that every episode. I know because so you want me to give give you a nickname, and I haven't thought of one yet. I just want someone to send you a, a t-shirt with it on at some point. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. <laughs> I would wear it. I'll tell you that now. Um, I wanted to say, um, I we really want to hear what you guys think um, about the sort of books you've read mm-hmm. about dogs, about training behaviour. Um, what's on your shelf? Yeah. What's oh, that's a good name. Yeah. What's on your shelf? Yeah. Just oh, came up with that just now. That's another jingle. It's amazing, isn't it? Write, isn't yeah, it? it is. Really. <laughs> I like that. I like that you put the lyrics on, by the way, so people can sing along. Just in I case hope no that they all they all have been. You know. I I did wonder whether anyone would mention it. I was quite happy with it. <laughs> A lot of effort went into that. It's very ridiculous catchy. It's very song. very catchy. <laughs> I gave you full artistic license, and you did me proud. Well done. I, I caught my wife humming it the other day. <laughs> That's when, I, that's when I know I've made an earworm. <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to put our reading list up, um, which is basically all of the things that um, that we're planning on looking yeah. at across the series. But we'd also like to hear suggestions from you guys as well. Um, so if you've got any books that have really changed your world. Yeah, we've, um, had, we've had a couple of people mention some already. Cool. Um, and I think they, they were already on our little list, weren't they? So mm. I think it'd be useful so that you know what's coming up. Yep. Um, and if you've got birthday coming up you can put some of the books on your list um and if you are more inclined to listen to things you've got someone like audiobooks haven't you so yes the book um, we're covering today i actually downloaded on audible yeah. uh, the other day and uh yeah it was it was lovely i'm old school listen. you see i like a book well, I, I like, can listen while I'm wandering around. I know, I know that is really, really useful. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, because I did still have a chapter to read yep. before we speak to Clive, and I walk the dogs reading my book. <laughs> Isn't that awful? I mean, I mean, it's a secure field, everyone. So How I'm not like blind to what's going over? on. No, I didn't actually. I was, it was quite good, but I thought if anyone looks over at the moment, they're going to think I'm a right weirdo. <laughs> Reading my book as I'm walking the dogs. You're dishing but... out your advice not to be on your mobile phone when you're walking your dogs. <laughs> yeah, whereas, yeah, reading a book, Books absolutely fine. That takes some commitment to read a book. <laughs> so, yeah, we can let that one slide. Yeah. So, yeah, um, find us on Facebook and, um, yeah, let us know. Let us know what, what's um, been tickling your eyelashes. Indeed. <laughs> what's on thing. your shelf? So today, then, um, we are looking at uh, a fantastic book, a brand spanking new book by Dr. Clive Wynne, which is called Dog, Dog is, is Love. Love. And you can sing it like Hadaway if you want. I've been I, doing it all week. Um, uh, it is a corker. It's a really different good. book from, yeah. last, from last week. Yeah, we're trying to sort of hop around different... Um, obviously, the theme is dogs, but uh, would we call them different genres, maybe? 
Yeah. So this is more of a... a t- if you've read um, John Bradshaw's In Defence of Dogs, I would say that's probably... Or Patricia McConnell, Other End of the Leash. I think it's in that yeah. that category. That so some really good science, but just a nice, um, a nice book about backgroundy stuff. Yeah, and really easy to read. Yeah. I get I get scared sometimes with the really sciencey books that I'm not going to be able to understand any of it. But this oh. one was really really good. It's very accessible. It's, yeah. it was it's really well written. Um, uh, I get a little bit of background about Clive here. So he's born and raised on the Isle of Wight, which isn't far from us. We'll have a little we chat. We could swim there. <laughs> well, no, I couldn't. You could. <laughs> on a, on the right tide, Dave. <laughs> not today. It's January. Wait till June. <laughs> we can uh, have a chat with him about that. Whether he swum. To our coast before or not? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Isle of Wight, lovely. Um, studied at University College London, got his first PhD at Edinburgh University, and then he went a travelling. Um, after some time away, um, he'd been oh, all over the place, loads of places: Australia, Florida. Yeah. He came to Arizona State University in 2013, where he is at the moment. So that's where we're going to be talking to him from, from Arizona. Excellent. Um, he studied behaviour many species, uh, pigeons, dunarts, which I'm... Uh, do you know what a dunart is? A dunart? Yeah. No. Well, apparently, a dunart is a small mouse-like marsupial. Ah. There you go. I had to look that one, one up as me. well. Yeah. Um, and then he, there's a lovely little passage in, in, a bio, in the bio on his website, and it says, but some years ago I found a way to meld my childhood love of dogs with my professional training and now study and teach the behaviour of dogs and their wild relatives. I mean, that's the definition of success, isn't it, really? When you go to work and do... What you love. Yeah, when it doesn't feel like a job. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it's been a brilliant... It really... I've probably said this every week, but parts of this book just blew my world apart, um, and it was really, really good. Um, The idea of whether dogs love us, it's it's something we all talk about all the time. I think most people will probably say, yeah, without a doubt, they definitely do. Mm. But is there scientific evidence for it? Mm. Mm. We shall have to find out. So shall we delve inwards? Yeah, let's go for it. Off we go. Why read it? Because it's good. There you go. Case closed. (laughs) (laughs) Book slam moment. Uh, Well, yeah, it is. It is amazing. I just... I... Um, a geek and I I read a lot of um, what some people would consider very dry um, journals and scientific Mills research Mills and Boone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only on the weekends um, and I think what Clive's managed to do really well is ram all the science in there but in a really easy to read easy to digest accessible way with not too much jargon and if there is a bit of jargon mm. he explains really clearly what he's doing yeah without kind of dumbing it down or feeling like you're being patronized because you don't understand yeah. what the big word means there's a really good bit actually where i, I, I can't remember what the word is which is uh, which is fitting um <laughs> Was but <it> dog? He, he, <laughs> he makes um uh, he makes light of it in in terms of he understands his re- his readership are not going to understand all of it. So yeah. um, a lot of it's to do with DNA coding and sort of like the num the numbers and yeah. these really long words. Um, but well, I, I think it it was quite in depth some of the science. So mm. and you know 
I'm probably from more of an academic background than you are, and you, you found are, it yeah. okay to follow, didn't you? The I science it was stuff. So. And actually, the 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 science section, the bit where where they talk about the MRIs, um, mm. the DNA, all of that good stuff, the oxytocin, uh, that was the bit that I got really excited about because yeah. um, we hear a lot of these these things, and people, you know, you, you get people post things on Facebook saying about oxytocin yeah. and MRI machines and that but actually being able to read about it and, and look at the science behind it and yeah. how it was done as well was fascinating and it, again why, why read it because we all I think we all would agree or most people I should imagine listen to this would agree that we feel loved by our dogs yeah oh, 100% well, that's yeah? why I do most of the things yeah, that I do for exactly. them because Exactly. I want them to look at me and go, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> love me back, please. Yeah. please. I'm so needy. <laughs> um, so, so with that in mind, you know, why not? Here's someone that's gone out of their way to, to prove it or mm. to, look at, to look at how and why a dog loves us right from the, from the start, from, from how they evolved, how possibly they evolved yeah. to, to be our companions right up to cutting edge science right at the cutting edge yeah which is exciting and you know spoiler alert because i'll probably talk about this in the quote section as well but it sums up with him he says it's not soppiness it's science yes i love that that's nice i would like a t-shirt with that that's a good point yeah it's a good good point to leave it there it's not soppiness it's science that's why you should read it indeed oh you pricked my eye ouch (laughs) <laughs> it's stuck, hasn't it? Right in the cornea. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch. It's stuck for us. Yeah. You never know how... We've well, done a catchy jingle now, mate, so it's got a stick, really, hasn't it? I was quite chuffed with that yeah, one. Yeah, it's Secretly good. Secretly quite chuffed. a good one. So pricked me eye. Yeah. Has anything pricked your eye? Loads. Oh, God. Um, loads of stuff, but you made me choose one. So, um, the one, yeah, the one that um, I was kind of nodding along and, and thinking, oh yeah, that's really interesting, um, was when Clive was talking about his own dog, um, Zephos, which I hope I've pronounced properly. I think that's right, Zephos, Zephos. Zephos, no, no. Um, and he was saying that um, you know she's so intuitive with his body language and can tell whether he's going to get up and make a coffee or take her for a walk. And I just thought, yeah, my dogs are so perceptive about stuff like that. And, you know, we're just these these big lumbering apes that are so clumsy with our body language that we don't even realise all these things we're doing yeah. that that are giving so much more information than we mean to convey. Because you think, oh, I'm getting up and going for a pee... Um, or I'm getting up and I'm going to get the dogs to chew out of the cupboard, you think you get up with the same purpose, but yeah. they're obviously doing something very differently. You've just reminded me of something. Um, we've noticed recently, so uh, when it's toast time, yeah. breakfasty time mm-hmm. in the good old household, um, we quite often have uh, a bit of Marmite on toast. Nice. I don't know how that goes down with the listenership there. Standard. But, uh, Stand- oh well, we could Either do love a love or you hate it. it. Yeah. I'm a lover. <laughs> I am totally a lover. Yeah. Um, and so are both my dogs. Yeah. Oh, my dogs like it too. 
what happens is, so we always save them a little bit of Marmite toast yeah. at the end of toast time. You've got to share toast in the I've never called it toast time before. I don't know why I'm referring it to toast time now. <laughs> you're making everything into a stick. jingle. Um, <laughs> and what happens is I eat fast. I eat like uh, like I'm going to die if I don't get it in my face <laughs> as quick as possible. So all, all what happens is Penny and Scooby, will they will stare at me. They will wait. And then they have their little bit of Marmite on toast. Yeah. And then they will go and look at Karim. But we noticed the other day that they, even when they're not looking, they know, it's not only just with toast as well. So say say in the middle of eating a bit of toast, you decide to give them a bit of toast. Yeah. If they're not looking, they know somehow that that bit is going to be for them. Now, I've observed this myself. I remember you telling me about this the other day, and we had a few... Um, hypotheses remind me um, so one of my hypotheses was that if you are going to break a bit of toast off yep. for your dog versus for yourself then versus for yourself you're going to look at it yes. so you can measure how ah. much you're giving to the dog whereas if you're just eating it for yourself you're just shoving it in your gob yeah so then there might be a fit. pause yeah there could be a um, a, a, th- a thinking and a, a, and a looking at your toast. I mean, I don't know. Everybody can try this with their toast in the morning. Do you look at your toast when you're eating it? I probably don't. I I'm looking at the telly or reading something on my phone or watching my dog's dribbling. That yeah. <laughs> so I wonder whether that might be yeah. part of it. Maybe. Also, I've just realised when I am thinking about something, I make a noise like... <sighs> Well, they can hear, they can hear your brain. And they're like, ah, oh, the brain's on. We might be getting a treat. Well, that makes sense. Um, my dogs are. Oh, there you go. Pizza's here. Um, my my, uh, my dogs are very tuned to the to the word right. If ever I say the word right, it means yeah. something's going to happen. You know, I get off the sofa. Oh, right, slap my legs. Yeah. Massively attuned to that, so yeah, similar similar type. Mine, thing. yeah, mine's the um the laptop closing. Yep. just makes the very. I could do it very very quietly, but oh, they still right. all hear, and they could be dead asleep, and suddenly they're up. Boing. Yeah, From something's happening. She stopped working. Um. So yeah, I. Has any of that happened with any of your dogs? Mm. Yeah, we'd like to hear about that. You can, uh, yeah, send us a little message. What weird little body know. language things yeah. have you noticed? And you know, a good thing about you know reading this book, I'll go on to my prick my ear in a second, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it really opened your eyes to those sorts of things, and and how these things have come about as well. Yeah, you know, why why do these things happen? What what has led to that point? What you know, what what does it serve? Yeah, well, and the I toast, think it's quite well, obvious. toast is the, is the obvious one. Um, yeah, I think it's it's almost like what we were talking about last time. Once you learn these skills, you can't kind of rewind your own learning, and and no. once you start picking up on little subtleties, um, you know your curiosity gets you, doesn't it? You start thinking, yes. hmm, what is happening there? Your eye gets pricked. Your eye gets pricked. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the one that I picked was, uh, this was a study done by an archaeologist, Angela Perry. And, and, and the book goes into a lot of about um, about the origins of, of how dogs evolved or theorising how they evolved um, and where the idea that they love us comes from. And Angela Perry was looking at um, dogs that had been buried on their own. 
because that gave um, in history this was mm. and that gave everyone a good idea that those dogs have been you know uh, cared for they were thought highly of in some regard because if you've taken the the effort to bury a dog you know maybe with a few trinkets and things like that then obviously you thought that dog was uh, yeah well there's good. been some kind of ceremony hasn't yeah, there I yeah. guess so, thinking behind it um, all of this was done uh, she, she was studying uh, a specific time frame um, and what she found was across the world, um, any burial sites where they found dogs that had been buried on their own, um, they all fell into a particular time frame, um, different time periods across the world, but a particular part of the history of the planet, which is when the Ice Age stopped. And the theory was that um, because the ice had receded from these places vegetation and things like that had got thicker so potentially humans had needed dogs more to hunt um to help them find food uh when the terrain got a bit more difficult to hunt him uh and i thought that was a fascinating idea and uh, if you look at the graph um it's uh it's described as an inverted u-shape um and, it, and it's the same all around the world, or, or at least where she was studying mm. where all of these burials were, which suggests that, you know, um, that symbiotic relationship. I, I really like that. I thought that was a really, yeah. really cool, really, really cool bit of the book. I think all the, all the history of, you know, the domestication process and human-animal relationships is just fascinating. And it there's, is. There's quite a lot of... of uh, research and writing into it and it, I think we're probably only going to learn more about things like that because as scientific um, uh, analysis um, evolves and we get better technology then we're going to be able to learn more about some of these excavations and yeah you know that's that's the exciting part as well so yeah. um, y- you know they're from maybe thousands of years ago but we might be a couple of hundred years off actually finding out more about what it all means it's an interesting question yeah because i you know having been able to definitively say this is where a wolf turned into a dog and this is where you know i mean we'll get into it a bit later on when we interview dr clive win um but uh yeah it's a it's a fascinating question i mean endlessly fascinating especially if you're a dog geek yeah and then it kind of if you can't help but look forward it kind of makes you think well where where will it go next <gasps> exciting times who knows one thing just one just mind. a one thing that one we've thing. taken away from the book yeah um, and that you should take away as well yeah from this podcast indeed um <laughs> because mediating. you know we do the hard work we do the reading or the lis- listening in steve's case and um i sense there's some sort of uh animosity oh, there's a little bit lazy you know. <laughs> but i should get with the times i i will admit actually i think it goes in better when you read it maybe mm. i don't know i don't know I'll, I'll do the experiment myself how about that okay yeah and feedback next time i will feedback um yeah we could compare i could do the reading i'd i'd yeah i'm just a reader i don't know. <laughs> um so uh we have basically gone through the book and we're going to look at um one thing that kind of you could take away with you you could take millions of things away you could you. take millions it's very hard i've very i've hard. found this section really hard actually yeah um 
do you want to go with yours first and we can kind of pontificate around that and then hopefully by then mine will make more sense in my head i think so okay right right um so the thing that i think is really worth bearing in mind when it comes to dogs especially if you're thinking about getting a dog um is that if you read this book you will discover that there are all sorts of reasons why dogs love us why they make such good companions Mm. um some of that is to do with genetics yeah so it's actually in their dna yeah um and that obviously helps um and they look into how they experience that love so dogs going into mri machines and them actually being able to look at the reward centers of the brain that light up mm-hmm. when they see pictures of their owners or see their actual owner or, or food or things along those lines um so we know why and maybe how we know how they can love us um but it's really important that it's, it is a sort of nature nurture kind of question i guess isn't it yeah, I think that Clive does a really good job of explaining the the kind of science to perhaps non-biologists, non-geneticists, yep. because I think, and hopefully you'll agree with me, I think there's this uh, maybe culture of um, the dog-owning um, sector of society that perhaps thinks that it's best to go and get a puppy because you've got a sort of blank canvas to work with um rather than going to a rescue center for example um and i think clive does a really good job of explaining how it's not as simple as that and that whilst the genetics and the dna which is kind of the blueprint the instructions of of um what that dog um might become uh they're only kind of maybes yeah so uh, the term is genetic predisposition so it basically means that your genes are there but then there are environmental factors depending on your experiences within particular sensitive periods so particular development stages within your lifetime um those uh predispositions will or those um uh, sort of expectations or those behavioral um traits will either show themselves or they won't yeah so what we can't say is that if you go and get a brand spanking new shiny puppy um that you are working from a ground point yeah because there's all this other stuff going on internally um and the environment of the breeders etc etc um and so we've got to be really careful i think with early development and making sure that we're setting these dogs up to succeed if they have been bred responsibly mm-hmm. and the blueprint is is there for a, a good well-rounded sociable dog um then you need to make sure you're getting the right early experiences in so that that dog reaches their their potential really does it's that make sense I've rambled a it bit does there. it does make yeah. perfect sense okay Imagine I tried to say all that. <laughs> you probably do it a lot more concisely. It brings me around actually to the section on the shelters as well, which kind of is kind of relevant here because we have this idea of what we want from a dog. So you might look at a specific breed. You might say to yourself, right, I want a, I don't know, a Labrador. Mm. And then when you go, like if you were looking for a rescue dog and you went into a shelter and, you know, maybe they didn't have a Labrador in there, you would just shut off to every other dog because you've got this idea that a Labrador yeah. is this kind of dog. Yeah. Um, and actually in the book there's a really interesting section where uh, I think they tried out in a shelter not naming the breeders we were around pit bulls yeah. wasn't it um, yeah and and people's um, kind of uh, thoughts 
towards particular breeds yeah. and it's it was their preconceptions you know, it, about it's yeah. preconceptions yeah. yeah um but i think one of the most rewarding experiences in my career so far ha- has been when i got to work with a client that actually came to me because she wanted a dog but she didn't know what dog she wanted <laughs> and she just desperately didn't want to get it wrong and you know we sat down and had a really nice chat about what her lifestyle was like you know she gardened a lot so she wanted a dog that was hardy to be in outdoors and um it was brilliant so yeah. refreshing such a refreshing way of, of of you know selecting a dog that can fit into your lifestyle and um i i think you know clive would agree with that um that it's finding the the dog that fits your lifestyle because then yeah. you're going to come up against a lot less conflict along the way sure and you're both going to be able to just get on with having a good time together yeah so yeah and also you know realizing again uh that you know they they want to be with you they want to spend time with you they want to be involved in your life you know they're not a fashion accessory they're a, you know they're a living breathing loving individual uh, it's a privilege it's a privilege to have yeah. a dog around it really really is and it is and reading this book will give you a real insight into, you know, how you should be around them. You know, what you should be giving them. Because they give us a lot. They really, really do. I think um, it definitely got my kind of cogs turning about, um, you know, quality of life and all that mm. kind of behind the scenes type stuff of yeah. having a, a dog. Because we can get very um, tied up in training mm-hmm. sometimes and i think it's nice to take a step back from that and look at actual simple needs yeah um uh, when it comes to social experiences etc and what they love doing exactly not necessarily what you like doing exactly <laughs> so happy days we have got an interview with dr clive Wynn himself can't believe we get to speak to these people Steve. Oh, i know this is good it's surreal it's great yep. it's brilliant and while it's lasting I, um... <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna keep going <laughs> we're going full throttle so here we go um dr clive Wynn. so much for uh joining us dr clive win do i call you dr clive or just call me clive, oh, call call clive. <laughs> i'm a massive doctor who fans so i've always wanted to find someone who wants to be just called the doctor <laughs> well, me too, me too. american radio hosts do just call you doctor i don't know why oh, or do professor. They? Oh. Yeah, they're more keen on titles than you'd expect but no, I'm very happy just to be known as Clive. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, so first of all, what I wanted to ask about was the Isle of Wight. Obviously, we're, we're in Southampton. Yeah, we're not far at all. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You yeah. almost see the Isle of Wight. Oh, oh, no. On a nice day, we can, yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Oh, so, I miss the old place. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, whereabouts in the Isle of Wight was it you grew up? I grew up mainly in Shanklin. Oh, oh of course, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. I was born in Ryde, and uh, when I was four years old, my parents moved to Shanklin. So I was back just last summer. It is a magical place, at least on a summer's day. On a nice day. day (laughs) On January, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can get a bit bleak. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So um, we both read Dog is Love. Um, It's fantastic. Yeah, congratulations, Clive. It's a brilliant book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I enjoyed it. 
I, I think we well, we got a few questions for you, obviously. But number yeah. one, um, why did you feel compelled to write it? Uh, well, there are a lot of different possible answers to that question. <laughs> Some of them are going back all the way to when I was a kid on the Isle of Wight. Yeah. And, uh, and wondered, you know, we had this wonderful dog, Benji. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any scientific training or anything, but I wondered what made him tick and what was motivating him and what he might have been thinking. Uh, but more concretely, I just felt like I had come to, as a scientist now, as a much older person, uh, I had come to a, a different a realization about what makes dogs special and what makes dogs so successful that although a lot of lay people would think about dogs this way, would think about dogs as primarily affectionate creatures, yeah. actually the scientists who in the last decade or two have been taking an interest in dogs have been going off on a different tack. They've been emphasizing dogs' intelligence, mm. which I had had problems with for some time. And when I realized that I had the scientific evidence that dogs' primary uh, achievement, their main motivation, is this amazing capacity for strong, affectionate bonds, for love, I thought, well, people will be interested to hear about this evidence. I should yeah. try and put this out here. And uh, so that's that's what prompted me to to sit at my desk for days and weeks and months and type up the whole the whole uh, philosophy of it, if you like. Well, we're we're glad you did because it's a, a really good book, really important as well, and I think it's quite fitting in this time where we are thinking about sentience more, and you know, it seems to be on on the agenda. Um, yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm trying to write my PhD at the moment, so how oh how was the actual writing process for you? Have you got any tips oh, I for love me? <laughs> I love writing. I do. I do get sick of just sitting at my desk, yeah, doing nothing but typing. But actually, I mean, in the the parts of the book where I'm like remembering trips that I've made or, or remembering Benji from when I was a kid on the yeah. Isle of Wight. And uh, when I just, because I've, I've, you know, I love my work, the studies that my students and I have done. And I talk about those in the book. And it was fun, just like, I'm just telling a story. I just love yeah. telling stories. And then when I visited other people's research and I've been around the world, some quite interesting places, Japan and. Siberia and you know this that and, and Nicaragua I, I just love sometimes I can touch type and I sometimes just love closing my eyes and just letting my fingers tell the story I do actually really enjoy that wow that sounds amazing <laughs> it's fun and and yeah and and fun I guess it's quite a sort of cathartic process and a bit of a memoir for you as them it is absolutely together, yeah oh, no, you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and I'm um I'm glad on the trips that I made, you know, when I went to Israel, when I went to Siberia, that was a big deal in my life. And so I did at the time take notes as I was traveling around and it was really fun. You know, it's fun, of course, looking at your holiday photos, right? Yeah. But yeah. also really fun if you took notes while you were on a trip to go back and look at those notes and be reminded of everything that happened. And yeah. 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 yeah I'm not, I'm not really a big journal writer, but when I do, things that I know are going to be like a really big time in my life I try to jot something down so that I can look back yeah. at it and it, you're right it is good to go back and well, you, you think at the time this is so exciting I'll never forget it but actually yeah completely and I really love hearing your enthusiasm as well and and the fact that you kind of 
towards the end of the book you're talking about being um you know endlessly optimistic about our relationship with dogs because i i certainly um felt an affinity with you um writing about being a debbie downer you know because being <laughs> being a, a an academic myself and and working with people and their dogs and you know behavior problems i sometimes do feel like i'm kind of giving bad news almost you know when you've got well, to break right. it to someone that they that an activity they love doing with their dog is actually not as enjoyable for their dog as they might think and you you kind of feel right. like you're you're the bringer of bad news so it's it's really nice to read something um with a really positive spin and you know your enthusiasm yeah. definitely comes through in the writing well thanks Nan. and i think i mean my debbie downerism is 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 the problem with being a hard-nosed scientist <laughs> that I think I understand my role as a scientist as being the skeptic yeah. and the critic. And uh, just before you called, I was looking on Facebook and somebody had posted something and my immediate reaction is, oh, I'm not sure. You know, <laughs> they, really control, they, they really control for that? Yeah. So that, that's my Debbie Downerism. I don't so, but I know, I mean, I have so many friends who are... Um, animal behavior people working with pets who've got themselves into difficulties in one way or another. And I have friends who are veterinarians and, you know, they deal with, obviously they deal with medical issues, but sometimes they're asked to deal with behavioral issues too. And I know, you know, you're in that sort of a situation and all you see are the problems. Yeah. All you see are the <laughs> yeah. and you see, you know, the people who've been bitten and the dogs who are distressed. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there at the moment about the best way to, to live with your dog and to train a dog and all these, you know, yeah. shock colors and the, the, all this kind of stuff. And so I, I thought it's important to, to, first of all, say how the scientific research findings tell us the best way to guide dogs to find, to help them find their way in human society. And yeah, I am optimistic because, you know, most dogs, most of the time, they bounce back. I mean, yeah. one of the, yeah. One of the things, uh, so so sometimes dogs do harm people, right? I mean, it doesn't always go well. Yeah. In the United States, where I live now, there are 80 million dogs, 80 million dogs. And those dogs, they kill two to three dozen people each year. Two mm -hmm. to three dozen people, 80 million dogs. And in the book I write, if those 80 million dogs were people, then at current homicide rates in the United States, they would actually be killing 4,000 people a year, not just two or three dozen. So actually, mm. by and large, our relationship with dogs is, is gentle and is positive, yeah. even though I would never for a moment want to brush under the carpet the, the situations where difficulties arise because they do arise. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, but I think it's important to keep a grasp of uh, of the bigger picture, isn't it? And, yeah. and not get yeah. dragged in with the sensationalism sometimes when there is an incident. Obviously, exactly. they're they're exactly. distressing and traumatic and, and awful. But um, yeah, it, sometimes I think we get that media spin, don't we? And it's um, well, it's okay, not I mean, always helpful. That's the nature of the news, you know. Yeah. <laughs> This morning, I wake up to the news that uh, the tragic news that a plane exploded on takeoff in Tehran, right? The, these poor passengers yeah. yes. on a plane. But hey, the news hasn't mentioned the thousands and thousands of planes that took off and landed safely overnight. Yeah. They, don't, <laughs> yeah. they don't bother telling me about that. I mean, it's precisely because these are rare events that the news media decide to cover them. And the same with our dogs. Nobody bothers reporting thousands of people 
who woke up this morning to a dog who was happy to see that they were <laughs> yeah. gave them a kiss and they went on their way. You know, I mean, that's not that's not news. Oh, you've just and, reminded me of something actually, Clive, because um, you posted something the other day, um, <laughs> a, a picture about dogs kissing humans uh across the ages where they, where someone yeah lived, and um i i put uh, i i shared it and put a post up about uh whether or not people kiss their dogs um <laughs> and that that was quite polarizing <laughs> <laughs> well so so the thing i the thing i shared was um from a scientific paper or a scientific you know an, a, a scholarly paper mm-hmm. by an egyptologist actually a, a woman in australia and uh, she had written a paper about artistic representations in ancient Egypt. These were representations from over 4,000 years ago of people putting, she actually, I'd also put it on Twitter and the author is on Twitter and she mildly corrected me because if we're gonna be strict about it, all you can say is that the person has placed their mouth on the dog's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and um yeah we don't like labeling (laughs) well yeah exactly and and you know i mean i don't i don't kiss my dog on the mouth some of my friends do and some don't i i I think my dog my poor dog zephos she would dearly love to kiss me (laughs) (laughs) but uh but you know so this is the thing right on the one hand i mean there is a there is a serious point here on the one hand we should learn as much as we can about our beloved dogs and what their needs in life are. Yeah. And as much as possible, as much as reasonable, we should strive to fulfill those needs. Mm. But that doesn't mean that we have to do everything that they would choose. I mean, Zephos would love to kiss me. I'm sorry, I'm not going to let her kiss me. <laughs> that is in some small sense uh, impinging on the life she would choose to have with me. But that's okay. That's okay. We are allowed. We do. We are different species, right? Here's the, to me, the magic. We are different species. We're not even the least bit closely related. I mean, we're both mammals, but we're not closely related mammals. We're primates. They're carnivores, right? There's no close relatedness. And yet, so let's, let's stop and ponder for a moment that these two species, humans and dogs, who are not closely related, nonetheless can live together in this 99.999%, you know, almost all the time, a peaceful, happy coexistence for the two sides, even though we're so different, that we can understand each other so well and that our emotional needs are so compatible with each other. And, you know, when I give talks, I sometimes ask people, you know, how many of you have tails, right? And nobody in the room has a tail. <laughs> so how is it that most people understand that a happy wagging tail is a happy dog, you know, yeah. that we read and they understand us too. You know, you start to cry and your dog comes over to console you. Mm. They don't cry the same way we do. And yet they understand it. So, you know, there's this amazing thing that these two unrelated species can come to such a close understanding, especially at the emotional level, such a close emotional understanding. And okay, there are areas, things your dog would like to be doing with you that you don't, I at least in this particular case, don't want to be doing (laughs) with my dog and vice versa. Sometimes there are things your dog, you know, that you insist on that your dog, truth be told, your dog would rather not be on a lead when you go for a walk, right? I mean, that would be the dog's choice, but the dog can happily learn to compromise with you on that. We can compromise with each other in a way that leads to this tremendously satisfying shared life. I've got a little Jack Russell called Penny, 
and uh, she's known around these parts as the Kissassin. So uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, all I'll say, Clive, is uh, I don't get a choice. <laughs> yeah, but then oh, my yeah. my little dog Fish loves a snog with Steve oh, as well, God, yeah. and Steve is enjoying it as much as Fish is. Maybe I'll just, just say that me. there. Yeah, maybe it is. It's the beard. You never know what you might find in there. <laughs> yeah, there's always something left in there. <laughs> I, Grand, I, I, scrambled egg. <laughs> you, you know me. Um, <laughs> Well, I, well, I, know, I, really... I know guys from Southampton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, special breed. Um, what I really, really took away, um, which which uh, I imagine you'd be happy for someone reading this would take this away, is just just how much it, you know. It really made me think. I mean, obviously, I, I'm a I'm a dog trainer. I've lived with dogs nearly all my life. Um, I've always assumed that there is love both sides. You know, to the point where. I, you know, I would argue it, but never have I actually seen someone gather the evidence together and, and put it all together so I can actually say, ah, these are these are the ways that it happens. This is how this is how you can measure it. This is how we can we can see that this is actually something that we're talking about. And what I took away and how you sum up the end of the book as well is is how much that we should. There's that lovely passage that you say about, you know, if, if you wake up and you interact with your dog for a couple of minutes and then maybe you go out for 10 or so hours and then you come back and then you maybe interact with your dog again for a little bit you know how how depriving that might be for for another for a species that is is desperate for this interaction right right and i really took that away it made me look at my dogs differently i mean i interact with my dogs all day long but even for me it really made me just look look at them a little bit differently which was lovely yeah well i think i think steve i think I think people are becoming so accustomed to technology in their homes, smart technology. And you think, you know, if you got if you got some kind of a gadget for Christmas, you know, one of these boxes that you talk to and it tells you the weather, you know, the yep. smart what do they call smart speakers? Yep. And you know, so I I left the house this morning and the smart speaker will be all alone for eight, ten hours or whatever. <laughs> And when I come back, I can say, okay, Google, what's the weather? And the smart speaker will be perfectly happy, right? And I think people take that and they sort of think that their living animal, their dog, could be sort of similar. And it's just not. It has its own social needs that come from inside it, which is why we love them, because they because they want to have loving relationships yeah. with us. And you cannot turn that off. You know, in Sweden, it's against the law to leave your dog yeah. alone. That was really interesting. Out. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I've been away from the UK so long. I don't know what UK law might be on this kind of thing, but in the U S it wouldn't, you couldn't imagine anybody imposing a law. No, like we, we certainly no haven't got any, any legislation. I mean, I guess the closest would be the, the kind of policies that rehoming centers might have. Um, right, right. and you know, the, the general advice I think would, we would say is four hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of literature, I don't know if there's any scientific evidence behind that, but that tends to be our kind of culture, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. But then, you know, Steve runs puppy classes and it's it's not uncommon for people to be leaving their dog at home while they go to work for a yeah. nine to five job and popping home at lunchtime for a quick walk around the block. Um, that's certainly not yeah. not un- an uncommon way of living with dogs in this country. It always astounds me actually how quickly people are keen to leave their dogs when they've got a puppy. Yeah. They, they almost feel yeah. like they're, they're a ticking time bomb and if you don't like start you know introducing yeah. long periods of being left quickly that you know that, yeah. that it's all going to go wrong when actually 
in reality, quite often that causes a bigger issue further down the line. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I recognize I'm very privileged. I, uh, I work from home a great deal. Uh, I, I, I work, I live only 12 minutes drive from where I work so I can nip back. I know, you know, I'm very privileged. I'm not, I, I recognize other people don't have mm. the same degree as flexibility, but it's, but the thing is to think about it because there are other solutions you can, I mean, obviously a dog could enjoy the company of another dog. You might have more than one animal in your home and, um, you might have neighbors who could pop round, some friend who might enjoy you know it's it's not uncommon to know people who would love to have a dog but yeah. feel that it isn't practical and so they enjoy hanging out with your dog or over here we have um doggy daycares yeah. I, I presume they exist in the uk as yeah, well we yeah do. we've got doggy day we've also got something have you heard of borrow my doggy no and so it's, it's been set up and it's kind of through social media and um oh. basically it's for people that that might have a busy life or live in rented accommodation and can't have a dog of their own um uh-huh. but you it's it's like um a, a dating site for people and dogs <laughs> so you you get matched up to someone local to you oh, nice. um and then you you know if you all get on you end up borrowing their doggy it's quite you know right. there are lots of inventive ways of doing it yeah. um yeah 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 but i think, so I think the yeah yeah i was just going to say i think it's that needs to be part of the decision process really to to start with doesn't it and and well right and so i think people i i mean i i, I like to say not every life has a dog shaped space in it you know yeah, that just nice has, to be, it. has to be recognized i mean as a university professor, I meet a great many students and the students who come and talk to me are usually pretty interested in dogs, but by and large, they don't have a dog of their own because, you know, they're, they're young people away from home, staying mm. in, you know, rented accommodation or dorm rooms or whatever, and uh, they work hard during the day and they play hard at night. There's not a lot of space there to fit a dog into. Yeah. And so that's something that no matter how much you love dogs, you might need to to recognize that this particular phase of life that you might be in might not be one where having a dog of your own is a good idea. And then when you have a dog, just to be aware that the dog has social needs, that the dog needs company, and then think about how to make that possible for your dog. Mm. Um, If you're aware of it and you think about it and you Google it or whatever, you will begin to find solutions. It's 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 recognizing the, the most important first step is recognizing that the dog has these social needs. Yeah, I know that um, the most popular weeks when I lecture at um, University of Winchester are when I take my dogs in, <laughs> but no one's listening to me. <laughs> so, um, but it's it, yeah, it's good for the students because a lot of them are away from home and they're you know they're studying animal behaviour because they love their animals, but. Right, like you say, they recognise that that life stage is not necessarily conducive to having a dog. Um, right. So I kind of see it as part of my role to give them their their doggy fix every so often. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. I, I there's a there's another section actually of the book that um, that I really really like. Uh, we we come up against you. You talk about dominance in there, um, and we come up against this phrase dominance a lot in the dog training world and and it's it, it's a shame because you know it's only a word as Nat would say you know um yeah and, yeah. It, and what it means to someone like you versus what it means to someone you know who who maybe has heard different things about it um tend to be quite 
polar opposites sometimes. I, I wonder <laughs> if you could speak a little bit about that, Clive. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to talk about that, Steve. And it is it is exactly as you say that the problem here that's developed is that dominance is a technical term, right? In animal mm. behavior, yeah. is a technical term, dominance. And it was discovered in the 1920s by, I think, a Norwegian, or at least first formalized. And, you know, it's like pecking orders in chickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of social animals have some kind of a rank ordering to their social arrangements, including our own species. You know, I mean, I have a boss. and I don't know whether you have a boss, but, you know, I have a boss. And, and uh, most people, when they go to work, have a boss. And in families... You often have usually certainly usually the parents are in charge of the children and not the other way around so social animals often have some kind of a, a social structure a hierarchical social structure and in behavioral biology that social structure is called dominance it's called a dominance hierarchy and it doesn't imply anything it doesn't imply anything at all about mm. aggression about violence about inflicting pain right a, a, a humane parent no longer beats their children uh, you show what is technically called dominance by what a lay person would call gentle leadership and guidance right now the problem is that this technical term dominance got picked up by one or a few high profile television dog trainers and used in a way which is completely completely inconsistent with the scientific understanding of that term, which then leads to all sorts of problems in that you get people saying that dogs have, that there's no such thing as dominance in dogs. Well, I understand where they're coming from when they say that, but technically speaking, it's not correct. It certainly is abundantly clear that dogs do have a hierarchical social structure. And when dogs live with people, it seems pretty darn clear that the dogs are looking to the people for leadership Mm. your dog looks to you for you know what can i eat where do i eat where do i eat where can i go when can i go your dog is is looking to you for leadership and when a behavioral biologist a university trained behavioral biologist uses the term dominance that's all they're talking about that's all they're talking about yeah so what our dogs need from us is not bringing pain and violence into their lives. There's no reason to suppose that that is A, necessary, or B, helpful. But we do need to recognize that they are looking to us for leadership. They're looking to us for gentle, benign uh, leadership. Um, And it's a crying, crying shame that this hopeless, irritating confusion has developed. Whereas I say, you come across highly respected organizations uh, I think I think I'm I'm nervous I'm going to say the wrong group, but I think it's the American veterinary behaviorists who issued a statement saying that dogs do not experience dominance, and that is just as a professional statement, as a technical statement, simply wrong, mm. and it creates an, a difficult situation for me because I understand what they're trying to convey but they're not using the right words. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, I mean, that's we must all fight the good fight to bring violence and pain and aggression out of our lives with dogs. And by whatever name we feel it best to communicate to people what we're trying to say, our dogs are looking to us for leadership. And that is, that is our responsibility in the lives that we lead with our dogs, to provide them with their, their physical and their emotional needs 
and and provide them with gentle, benign leadership. Yeah, it's not going to work the other way around. They're not going to show us where to go and what to eat and when to eat and no. all this kind of stuff. Let's be honest as well. If you can train a certain amount of dogs to lie still in an MRI using positive reward based techniques, then uh, you probably don't need much else. Yeah, walking down the well, road on a lead should be a, a, yeah. a, a doddle, really. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, there's no limit. There's absolutely no limit to what dogs can be trained to do with positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Uh, Chaser, who knew the names of over 1,200 objects, I don't think she was ever even scolded verbally. She was certainly never punished for anything. No, no. I met them. I met them. Beautiful relationship. Yeah. Well, it doesn't foster a, a good learning environment and build confidence and that you need that, don't you, for learning? Absolutely. And I, I think maybe we need to come up with a desensitization and counter conditioning program for all of us that have become sensitized to the word dominance <laughs> like and pack trigger. leader and alpha roles <laughs> oh. and all that so that we I can mean, start using it as it's as it's meant in the scientific uh, terminology. Um, well, what we're up against is... Um, is the the power of television you know yeah. The, the, yeah. Moving, the moving image is still you know is still really really powerful mm. and it 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 has its own favorites the camera loves some people and doesn't love most of the rest of us <laughs> and so people who are very telegenic uh, quite independent of what their skills might be or their their knowledge base might be those people can uh can become extremely dominant in our culture just because they they look good on tv yeah uh, i don't know i don't really know i mean i know that various organizations and individuals have written letters to national geographic begging them to stop making that program uh but that's obviously never that's never going to work it's the the only way it would work as if you can find somebody who's even more attractive to the camera yeah. and, uh, and put that person forward and i must say um i i respect victoria Stillwell for being somebody who seems to be yes. very successful in front of the camera and is always advocating for benign methods of training yeah i saw her speak last year actually and she was she was she's a really good advocate for our sector i think and she kind yeah. of understands the how hard the job is trying to yeah. re-educate people about these lovely non-human animals that we share our homes with yeah. um and that you know we all need to kind of build the sector up and increase understanding and i think she's she's good at doing that she really puts herself out there doesn't she she does yeah mm. you can help us out actually Clive. We, we've got a section um in our podcast that we call practical applications so it's uh -huh. something that what we like to do um for every book that we talk about we we pick um, one thing out that you can maybe try at home with your dog. So we uh -huh. thought that we'd give you maybe the opportunity, <laughs> throwing you in the deep end here, um, to to maybe uh, tell people you know what one thing they could try maybe that 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 might help their their relationship or give them some insight into their dogs. Sure, sure. I've, I've got a few things. Yeah. That depend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I well, think so, everyone would um, love to hear hear your thoughts on it. And... Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm um, I'm I'm always the, I'm the kind of person who's always looking up the look, picking up the stones to see what's underneath, and one one uh, one thing that people have said to me this thing about you know I say your dog really I say if anybody loves I say you can be skeptical about whether your dog loves you, 
just like you could be skeptical about whether your wife, husband, mistress, <laughs> whatever, right? But you can, you know, you're entitled to be as skeptical as you want to be. But I say this: if anyone loves you, your dog loves you, right? If you if you're willing to admit that anyone loves you, your dog loves you. And people say, yeah, but you know, if you've got food treats, the dog would always rather have the food treats than talk to you. And that's true, of course, mm -hmm. that's true, but it's slightly misleading because the dog, in the situation where you're offering the dog food treats, you are there, the dog is getting you plus food treats. Yeah. It's not <laughs> and so there's a very simple, very simple test you can do. And it, it involves leaving your dog home alone all day, which we already said is not something as a routine matter that I'm in favor of. But just for the sake of the experiment, take one day and leave your dog home alone all day. And don't, give your, don't leave the dog with any food either. Water, but no food. So at the end of, let's say, eight hours, you come home and the dog inside the house has now been deprived of your company for eight hours and deprived of food for eight hours. And now we do, we do this in the United States where most homes have the garage attached to them not essential for this that the, there's a garage attached but it does make it a bit easier yep. and so most people come home they drive into the garage and then they enter their house through the door that connects the garage to the house and what we do is we set up by that door in the garage we set up two spots on the ground set up so that two spots are equal distances from the door and on one spot we put a bowl of dog food and on the other spot we put the owner <laughs> and then we have an assistant open the door so that the dog can't see how's the door getting open okay and now in that moment the dog is given a choice do i want food or do i want my beloved human and most dogs most of the time given that choice would rather have their human than have their food to eat even though they had nothing to eat for eight hours so um so that I, that's a simple demonstration anybody yep. can try for themselves nice. you just need a bowl of food and a helper to open the door for you uh and um and yeah it shows that dogs actually love their people more than they love food if you're giving them a, a fair choice where they've yeah. been deprived of both for the same length of time <laughs> i imagine what happened with me is my dog would run over to me and say a big hi and then go quite quickly then run <laughs> to the food and then run back to me <laughs> well right so so i'm not saying steve that your dog will never eat the food <laughs> <laughs> Um, what we do the we give them we measure what they're doing only for the first two minutes yeah sure what we find is the first time we do this the dogs don't usually eat any food in the first two minutes but if you repeat it every day for a week <laughs> yeah. then by friday they're what happens <laughs> is the door opens the dog now is familiar with this crazy setup <laughs> and so the dog first runs to the human says hi quickly goes across to the food bowl and gets as much food in his mouth as he can and then goes back and continues greeting the human whilst trying to digest all this food that he's taken into his mouth amazing <laughs> i think we can take that on as a challenge then we'll do our own little barks from the bookshelf uh, research Great. project so we'll get everyone involved fantastic. yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be fantastic send you some There's results there's another one I like. It's not this experiment wasn't my idea. Some actually some people in London, some people in Britain. I'm afraid I forget their name. Um, just sit on a sofa and pretend to cry, right? <laughs> I mean, most people can easily tell that pretend crying is not real crying. 
But actually, dogs are very easily taken in and get very, very upset at even fairly, you know, fairly unconvincing attempts to cry seem to upset. I mean, I've tried it and I felt that my dog seemed so upset that I decided not to proceed with it. But mm. just try it because it's kind of interesting. It's kind of an insight into yeah. how much your dog shares your concerns. I uh, there's a, a little story that I always tell. So sorry to anyone that I've already told this to, but there's there's more than a visual thing there. I think, and this is complete. You know, in my own head, one one dog, one person, not proper yeah. science. But um, I was upstairs in my bedroom I think I was faffing around doing something watching Black Beauty as you do and my dog was downstairs in the lounge asleep and the bit came on where um they recognize beauty in the and oh the sad bit basically um and I was I did not make a noise but I welled up and there were, I, there were tears rolling down my face and oh, within oh. a millisecond my dog was there by my side so there well, was obviously something I don't know what, and I don't mean to sound wooey, but um, there, there's something <laughs> that that you know signalled to him that my emotions had changed and that he, yeah, he needed yeah. to go and investigate. And yeah. I'll always remember that as just little things that you think, "Wow, how did you know, mate?" <laughs> well, it's so it's as I, as I said earlier, it's so interesting because because you know us and dogs, we're not that similar. Dogs don't tear, mm. you know. So uh, it's really remarkable how they, how, and I think in the other direction too, I think most people are pretty sensitive to their dog's emotional states, yeah. that we read each other's emotions despite being such different beings. It's really, it, it's a miracle that happens all the time. So we sort of take it for granted. But if you stop and think about it, it's a really stunning thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually I have no opportunity to actually stop. And th- I mean, again, that's what the book gave me, that stop and think about it moment um it's just it's just fascinating i quite often i i howl with my dogs you ever tried that clive oh yeah and and they uh, they, they seem to love it you've got <laughs> if you get the right note you can get yeah. scooby going oh quite yeah quickly, yeah my older you? dog scooby absolutely loves a good old howl <laughs> that's um, interesting so I... um my dog's not a howler i've yep. never heard her howl so i've never been tempted to try and howl with her I do work with some hand-reared wolves in yeah. Indiana at Wolf Park. And um, one of the things that's always fun is, uh, particularly if you're bringing a new visitor with you, is to go up to the fence and howl because they always howl back. Oh. And visitors are usually really impressed because it sort of suggests that I have this special, you know, that I'm on the same wavelength. But the truth <laughs> is the wolves are very ready to howl anything that's any kind of an approximation. Yeah. When the train, if the train, Train blows its whistle as it goes past. They'll howl back mm. at the train. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I often wonder what the sort of uh, what's going on in their heads when that howling happens. They they clearly seem to enjoy it. Both of my little ones as well. My little well, Jack so, Russell does a sort of silent howl when she sort of tries to go through the motions but can't quite make the noise. Yeah, my terriers. <laughs> oh, they look oh. like they're howling, but all that's coming out is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think well we're coming up to sort of like the half hour just over half an hour mark so we'll, we'll wrap it up Clive um, thank you okay. so much for talking to us oh, just, my pleasure one quick thing I, I know you worked yeah. in Australia for a while didn't you yeah I mean, that, oh that yeah. To, yeah I mean obviously it's awful what's going on over there at the moment have you still got people oh, over there is, that you know it and... is stunning yeah yeah in the worst possible way yeah the um, so it's been poof, 17 years since I lived and worked 
in Australia. Um, from the dog point of view, the fascinating thing about Australia are the dingoes. And uh, unfortunately, back when I, unfortunately, I mean, back when I lived and worked in Australia, I wasn't interested in, in dogs and their relatives. But now that I am, the dingo is such a fascinating animal. I mean, it looks just like a dog, but it behaves just like a wolf. It's yeah. an amazing mm -hmm. thing. I would love to be able to go back and study them. We were talking actually about the. I did a, I did a wee a wee bio for you at the beginning of the podcast, and I can't uh, remember what it was called now. But the little uh, little marsupial that you've studied, yeah, I've never heard of yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. oh, they they were very they were good fun. They were very interesting animals to study. Oh, brilliant! But, uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for yeah, coming on and talking you, to us. I mean, the, the book's brilliant. Um, I I imagine anyone who reads it is going to have that that sort of uh, you know mind-opening moment about um how to interact with their dogs and I, and I think um I think you've done a great service by writing it well thank you guys I really had fun chatting with you and um and did we say the name of the book dog is love yes the science of why and how yeah. your dog loves you and we'll be and sharing it around on our on Good. our Facebook page and everything so I'll definitely Good. be recommending it to all and sundry so thank Wonderful. you so much thank you thank, thank you. you very much thank you Bye-bye. All right, Clive, bye. Bye-bye. Wow. He was lovely, wasn't he? He was lovely. Really, really nice guy. I kind of want him to move in. Yeah, I know. Well, he's coming <laughs> over next year, isn't he? So yeah, there hopefully you go. We, we can kidnap him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can follow him around and make him talk to us. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, what a great guy. Um, brilliant. Absolutely amazing. And uh, we were very... Very humble to have him uh, speak to us. So thank I know, you very we're much. So, people are so generous with their time. They so are very really appreciate it. Go and buy the book. Go and buy the book. You need it you in your life. Do. You do. Dog is love, Dr. Clive Wynn. So, um, question then. I've got a question for you, Nat. Go on then. I've got a question. I'm in my mastermind chair. Go what do you think it. of this lump on my foot? <laughs> oh, God, not again. <laughs> um, my question is what can we do? to make sure we pay our dogs back for all of the love and attention and goodie stuff that they give us. Mm. Broad. Mm. Quite a big philosophical question. Isn't it is it, a really, bit big, Steve? isn't it? But Should but, we break it down? Yeah, break it down. I think um, certainly when I was reading this book, that's the big question that is kind of a theme throughout mm -hmm. it. And, you know, Clive does a really good job of making you kind of think that without... It's sounding like he's dictating that to yep. you, you know. Yep. Um, and it it had the, a very similar feel to when I read um, John Bradshaw's In Defence of Dogs first time round. Mm -hmm. um, and in that, this is one of my favourite quotes that I always use in my talks as well. And it's about the fact that if we don't invest in understanding dogs further and we don't breed them responsibly and we don't um, ensure their emotional and physical needs in terms of their welfare then we're not going to continue to have this amazing relationship that we have yeah. and I kind of I explain it a lot to my clients and to my students that I feel and certainly when you read Clive's book and he goes into more detail of the domestication process and it's almost a kind of self-domestication almost yeah. dogs are doing a lot of the hard work mm. you know um, they are the kind of the, the doting partner for the the um loyal less yeah exactly the less the attentive um yeah. husband Always of us marching there. in yeah, yeah exactly and i think uh, i think it's our 
turn as a species to step up do a bit more yeah and yeah. i think um a lot of what we can do to answer that big question is is well first step think about it think about what their needs are mm-hmm. um if you haven't got a dog already consider whether it is going to be beneficial to the dog to be in your life yeah as well as you know you having a dog yeah um and just keeping it simple you know don't worry about all these bells and whistles and 500 million training classes and all sorts just get down to the nitty-gritty of living with a dog which involves understanding their the way that they communicate Mm -hmm. Having a bit of compromise, which is what Clive talked about when we spoke to him, didn't he? And you know, um, knowing what's a, a, a something you can budge on and something that you can't really. Yeah. So it it's having a successful relationship, and that comes from knowledge. I think. Yeah, I think they get a lot of choice in things, do they? If you yeah. think about it, like when they eat, when they go out, where they go, when yeah. you do it, that you know. So yeah, having. Yeah, getting that relationship going and, and maybe, you know, uh, giving them, identifying the things that they love to do and then adding more of that into their lives. I know, um, you know, just a little bit of our little Jack Russell loves to play. She loves tuggy games. So we try and make sure we play a couple of times a day with her. We're mm-hmm. not always great. At, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, but I'm mindful of that. You know, mm. she loves it. So she wants to do it. She wants to interact with us. And you can tell when she does. She gets yeah. all right, you know, gets all fidgety and comes over and gives us her little um, penny noises that come out of her <laughs> mouth. Um, and, it, and it's lovely. And it's a bonding moment. And, and it's really, really good. Um, so all of those things, you know, the, the, these little things that you can do, keeping it simple, like you say. Yeah, even if it's just making a list of, like, the top 20 things in your dog's life. Yep. And um, some of them may be more acceptable than others, you know. I know that there are some things on my dog's lists that I don't particularly want to encourage, but they get so much joy from it that, okay, that's fine. You know, things like digging, yep. rolling in something gross. Eating poo. Yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> the dog stuff, you know, that I'm never going to join in with them, but actually <laughs> knock yourself out, you know, if it's safe and it's not going to be a, a, a real pain. Um, but I think where it's easy, like you say, life gets busy, things get cut out. Yep. You're staring at your phone. Yeah. Or the telly, and you know, quality over quantity. Yeah, and I think it actually it links in quite well with the with Turid as well, mm. saying saying about you know keeping things simple. You know, going yeah. back to some basic sort of stuff. Um, if you like, what what are the five? Is it the five animal welfare rules? You'll know this one. Oh, the five the freedoms the in five the animal freedoms. welfare act. Yeah. yeah, do you remember them? Well, yeah, but now you've put me on the spot, haven't you? <laughs> Mostly, they are lower level needs. You know, it's yeah. it's food, um, water, shelter, uh, access to healthcare, yeah. that kind of thing. All those. Kind the of the one that I am always really interested in is freedom to exhibit natural behaviours. Yes, um, and it. I guess that's about as woolly as it comes when it comes to legislation because how do you then quantify that? Um, And to my knowledge, there haven't been um, any convictions of of things, you know. Um, If you think about it, if you really think about it, there could be quite a few Exactly. (laughs) And, And I think you can't provide that freedom if you don't understand what natural behavior is for a dog. Um, And so we get back to 
understanding them a bit more I think um but if you do please don't um wade through the animal welfare act it's it's quite dry um but there is a really good um booklet written um in conjunction with the legislation which is called the code of practice for the welfare of dogs and um it's just been revamped actually and it's got um pictures on it and infographics and all pictures? sorts so yeah i'm in i know so it's actually a public friendly document cool. um and so if you haven't looked at that already give it a google or i'll put we'll put the link in yeah. the um podcast uh, comments on facebook but do have a look and it's a really good starting point sometimes um just to have a look through and see what expectations there are from a legal point of view um and it's got you know uh, how to check that your dog's the right weight, for example. Oh. So, um, body scores and all sorts. It's a really useful document, but it's not not very well um, publicised um, in the general public arena, which was the point of you know all the hard work that went into it. So, so often check it case, out. It? So often that's the case. Getting those, you know, that sort of information out there is quite difficult sometimes. Yeah, I I always remember um, someone I worked with at the Wildlife Trust, and they said never see the the end of a report as the finish of a project is mm. the start because then you've got the report yeah. to go and show people and i think sometimes things just get done finished put it on a website and then that that's it so Hope let's get that shared out there cool 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 so we as as well you know as you should know by now because this is episode number two. It is. Need I remind you? We'll be experts. <laughs> we like to finish on some quotes. I'm going to grab. I've got a copy of Clive's book here. Um, I have got a couple of. I've got a few. As always, there's always I know, there's I always, loads here. I start underlining, and then I just realise I've like underlined the whole book, and you can't really read that out. Do, before. Do, do, um, let me have a look. Shall I do one? Good. I've got it. Yeah, go on. Go I've underlined on. it. Live. Page ten. And if there is a single simple conclusion to be drawn from my research, it is that we humans need to be doing much more to honour and return our dog's affections. Beautiful. That's the book closing right oh, there. That was a good book. Yeah, that was a good slam. I slammed the book and lost my page. <laughs> right, here we go. Page 159. Du, 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 du. Right, where have we gone there? Ah, right, yeah, this is brilliant. So this was a, it's a bit of a long one here, so bear with me. Um, but this is, uh, Clive was looking into when the earliest reference or written description of a dog in terms of um, admiration. Mm -hmm. And he found this one, which comes from uh, ancient Greece about 2,000 years ago. A man named Arian of Nicomedia. You like your ancient Greece, I don't do you? I do like ancient Greece, don't I? I do, I do. Um, so here we go. So this is what he wrote about his dog, who I think um, the dog was called. Let me uh, just get this right. Dog. Um, talk about yourselves for a minute. <laughs> a Horme. The dog's called Horme, which um, okay. which translates as Dasher. Charles was quite nice. nice. So most gentle and most fond of humans, and never previously did any other dog long to be with me as she does. She escorts me to the gymnasium and sits by while, while I'm exercising and goes in front as I return, frequently turning round as if to check that I've not left the road somewhere. When she sees I am there, she smiles and goes to the front again. 
If she sees us, even after a short period of time, she jumps up in the air gently as if welcoming and she gives a bark with that welcome, showing her affection. And so I think that I should not hesitate to write down the name of this dog for it to survive her even in the future. That Xenophon the Athenian had a dog called Hormay, very fast, very clever and quite out of this world. Oh, not lovely. It's lovely, isn't it? And I think we can all sort of relate to that. That you yeah. know, it's beautiful, very, very beautiful. Have you got another one, or I have got one. Oh, go. Um, and it it's so good. It might be a book slam mic oh. drop moment. Is it okay? Do you want me to go have first? You got one. Then? Hang on. So if you've got a book, it's very short and and Da-da-da. succinct. Oh my god! Okay, yeah. Here's one for okay. me, right? This is Clive himself. Uh, people love dogs. If that verb means half as much to us as it does to them, we will do the hard work necessary to give them better lives and to honour all that they give us. Dogs' love defines them. Theirs is an example we should follow. That's Aww. nice. See what that I mean about him being talking. a really lovely writer. It's just <laughs> He's brilliant, isn't he? very heartwarming. Okay, here we go. Book slam moment. <clears throat> Drum roll. It's the last bit that I like. I think we should adopt this as a slogan here. But I need to read you the sentence beforehand to get in there. I have found a tremendous amount of evidence to support the theory of dog love and very little that undermines it. That's not soppiness, it's science. Not sloppiness, it's science. There we go. So (laughs) all we need to do then is just say thanks. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Keep listening, keep sharing, keep letting us know what you think. And we will be back with you very soon with, um, well, we're going to put up our reading list, aren't we? Yes. And then we'll have our next episode um, I think we'll, weeks, we, we'll announce it, I think, on Facebook. Yeah, so you know what you're looking out for. Yeah, and you can grab, uh, you can grab a copy and read along with us. That would be good. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi. Bye. Bookshop and we